been with us over the past few weeks in the series that I've called Final, you know that we've talked about a lot of the events that are shown in that video. We've talked about the last few weeks of Jesus' life, or last few days really, and we've thought through, okay, when Jesus knew that his days were numbered, what did he do? How did he interact with people? How did he interact with God? What was important to him on that day, and especially as he led up to the day of the crucifixion. So we've examined that, and as we left off last Sunday, or if you were with us on Friday evening for our Good Friday service, maybe it feels like, well, that was the end, right? It feels like, as I said last Sunday, that the power of God and the power of evil were at work against one another, were facing each other down, and on Friday afternoon, it looked like evil had won. 
And the story, the, the final passage had already come to be. And it leaves us sort of hopeless. It leaves us with a sense that it looked like evil had outclassed God's own power. And maybe you felt like that somewhere along the way. Maybe you know what it is to be up against something or someone and feel like you are so totally outclassed, there's no way that you can win. I felt like that before. Back in high school, I was on the debate team with all the other cool kids at my school. Why is that funny, right? Okay. And it was sort of a new program, so like we were beginning when we were freshmen, and as we worked our way through high school, we got better, and we gained some confidence. But our, our struggle was we would go through the tournaments during the year, and then we'd finally get to the regional tournament, you had to win that to go on to state. And we just wanted to get to the state tournament. Our problem was there were three teams in our region. It was us, Greater Atlanta Christian School, and then a school called Southeast Whitfield County. They were terrible. We always beat them, so that was not going to be a problem. The other school in our region was Pace Academy, the rich kids from across town. Okay, And the struggle there was Pace Academy was always the state champion. So every time we debated at region, we knew we were facing the state champion. And we would you know, go through that season thinking we're gaining confidence, ability, all the things that we needed, and this was going to be the year we we're going to beat Pace Academy, go on to the state tournament. And we would get in those final debates, we only needed to win one, and realize we were totally outclassed by them. We were not in the same class that they were. And we lost every time. Maybe you know what that's like, either through athletics or something going on in your life, maybe bigger than that, you've known what it means to be outclassed, and sometimes we feel that way in really important ways in our lives. For example, sometimes it seems like sin is like totally outclassing us, right? Like there are times when we know there is stuff in our lives that is wrong. We know we shouldn't do it, we keep doing it, you have to call that sin. It's not just a mistake, it's a choice. And maybe there's even a time when you sort of put that behind you. You think, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to get away from that. You eliminate that. You think it's in the rearview mirror, and then something happens, and suddenly it's back. Temptation is there, and you give in. And you're right back to where you started from. And it feels like you were destined to be involved in this. Like, how can you possibly beat it? You're outclassed by sin. And every one of us knows that we're outclassed by death. Right? I mean, we can eat healthy, we can exercise, do all the things, have a healthy lifestyle, thinking that we'll live longer, but it's always going to be just a little longer because death always wins in the end. As I said, that can leave us a little hopeless. Much like the disciples on that Friday afternoon when Jesus was put in the tomb. That long Saturday when they were grieving Jesus and recognizing all that they had been involved with, all that they had been doing for three years was over, Jesus was dead, that was it. And they probably felt that way on Sunday morning when two of Jesus' disciples, two women, made their way to the tomb. Now, we're in Matthew's Gospels where we've been throughout this series, but the other Gospels tell us they went there in part to anoint Jesus' body for burial. They had spices, and, and they had done some of that Friday afternoon, but they were in a hurry because the Passover was starting. So they wanted to complete that job on Sunday. And at first, 
it all seems like it's exactly what they expect. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. After the Sabbath, Saturday, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Now, these two women, both Marys, lots of Marys in the New Testament. Mary, the mother of Jesus, she's not in this part of the story. Mary Magdalene is. She's someone that Jesus has transformed her life. He has cast out evil spirits that had dominated her. So Jesus was completely transformative to her. She's there. Then we have the other Mary. Wouldn't you want to love to make it into the Bible and the only thing they tell you about you is you're the other Mary, right? That's where she gets. We know she had a couple sons. She's mentioned elsewhere, but we don't know anything about them. She's there. And they get to the tomb. And this is what they witness. It's sort of like Matthew is describing some things that have already happened. If you read the rest of the Gospels, you see that. But this is the way he words it. Verse 2, there was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. So Jesus has already been raised. That's already taken place. The stone is rolled away by the angel. Earthquake, all this stuff going on. Scary side. I think Matthew tries to tell us that, okay, about the angels. But what I love is the way Matthew words verse 4. And I've never noticed it until I studied for this message how, how Matthew brings some things together in verse 4. He says this. The guards were so afraid of him, the angel, that they shook and became like dead men. Now, here's the thing. The religious leaders went to Pilate after Jesus was dead. And, he, and they said, listen, we don't want anybody disturbing this grave. We don't want anybody still in the body. We want you to put some guards on this tomb. So he did. Okay, remember this is probably sort of like a cave. There were ledges in that cave. You laid the bodies there, cover it with a stone. They sealed it up, and Pilate puts two Roman soldiers, okay, in charge of guarding a dead man. That's where we are. Now, this again is the most powerful force at work on the face of the earth at this time, the Roman Empire, guarding Jesus, who's dead. But then the angel comes, and what happens the two men charged with guarding the dead man get so scared they are like dead men and the guy who's dead is alive. Matthew is showing us that the reversal has begun. The power of evil that thought it had won, had defeated Jesus, is overcome. And because God has raised Jesus from the dead, everything is changing in that moment. Then the angel speaks, verse 5. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid. Now, it's very common in Scripture. Almost every time an angel appears to a human being, they're afraid. It's a common reaction. And the angel has to say something like, fear not. All right? That's what this angel says to Mary and the other Mary. Do not be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. I know why you're here. And you've already seen that the stone has been rolled away. And so you're wondering, what's up? Verse 6. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So you came expecting to find the tomb sealed up, 
maybe with the opportunity to anoint Jesus' body further with spices for burial. But he's not here. And it's just like he said. Remember he said he was going to tear down the temple, build it in three days. Remember he said that he was going to die and he was going to be resurrected. You remember when that happened and nobody expected this to come true and yet here it is, Jesus is alive. And what does the angel say? Go and tell the other disciples. And tell them to go to Galilee because Jesus is going to meet them there. Now, that would happen later. Jesus would appear around Jerusalem and then later on in Galilee. But here's the thing. It's one of those parts of the story that points us to the fact that this thing is not made up. Because if somebody was going to make it up, they would have said it differently. Because in the ancient world, the word of a woman was not trusted. In the ancient world, it was assumed that women are so emotional that they can't be trusted even to testify in court. They can't get it straight. So, who is it that discovers the empty tomb? Who is charged with being the first two people who are supposed to go to someone else and say, Jesus is raised from the dead? Well, if somebody was making this story up, it probably would have been Peter, James, and John who went to the temple that Sunday morning. They had been there for the most important events in Jesus' ministry, the transfiguration. They had been closest to him in the garden, as we talked about a few weeks ago. It would have been the leaders. You can trust them. They could testify to the truth. But instead, it's these three women, or two women. Nobody would have made it up that way. But they're ready to go, ready to obey the word of the angel. And as soon as they do, they see something else. So the women hurried away from the tomb afraid, while well, this is weird stuff that's going on, yet filled with joy. Jesus is alive. And ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee there they will see me. It's the same charge that they got from the angels. Go tell everyone that I'm alive and they're going to see me. And of course they would. So as we think about this story, this Easter Sunday morning kind of story, what does it say to us? As we think about Jesus being raised from the dead, the power of evil sort of thinking it had won and yet had completely lost. What's the message for us? I think it's simple. Resurrection shows us God wins. Even when it looks like God has been defeated, even when it looks like things like sin and death have defeated God on the cross, the truth is God wins because Jesus was raised from the dead. And that really is the message for us this Easter Sunday morning, is that we can trust that in the end, God wins. Now, you know, one of the main messages that runs from the beginning of Scripture to the end is this. We were created in God's image. We're told that very early on in Scripture. We were created to bear the image of God. In other words, it was our call, our mission to spend our lives communicating who God is by who we are. Okay? By our very presence, by our words, by our actions, we are to be the image of God to the people around us. Okay? But Satan is at work to make sure that doesn't happen. And two of his primary tools are, number one, our sin. Because Satan would love to use our sin 
to, to disfigure God's image on us. Because if we're not, and if we're choosing sin over God, there's no way that we can bear the image of God. What we show people is our desire, our hatred, our guilt, our anger, our sin. We're not showing them God. And the other weapon that Satan uses is death. Because if we are dead, if our bodies die, we are no longer bearing God's image to the world. But if the message of the, of the resurrection is that God wins, what we find out is that there's a couple truths that we need to understand. First of all, God has defeated sin. Now, sometimes it doesn't feel that way. It can feel like sin is pretty powerful and at work in our lives, like it's after us to take something away from us. But what we're told as a part of the message of both the cross and the resurrection is that we can be forgiven. That God is more powerful than our sin. As powerful as sin feels, God is more powerful and that we can be forgiven of that sin. So we can say, I know I've done wrong. God, will you please forgive me? And the truth is, we shouldn't just go out and do whatever we want and then say, you know what, I'm going to act the way I want and then just ask for forgiveness. But when we come to God with repentant hearts, when we come to God saying, I want to change, when we come to God saying, I want to bear your image to the people around me, we really can be forgiven. But the other part of the good news of these last few days of Jesus' life, when we find this more in John, we've been studying Matthew, is that Jesus promised the presence of his spirit. And God's spirit is given to us in part to overcome the power of sin. Part of the reason we are given God's spirit that it dwells in us is so that we can have strength to overcome sin. God has defeated sin on the cross, in the resurrection, and through his spirit. God wins. And God has also defeated death. And that is the message of the resurrection, right? That Jesus was actually dead. He didn't just seem dead. He was dead. His physical body, not alive anymore. And on that Sunday morning, he was raised from the dead. He had life again. And people saw that, including these two Marys, the rest of the disciples, and more. There are witnesses to this. He was raised from the dead. He defeated death. And because of that, he offers us that same victory. Yes, we are going to die. But we also have been promised resurrection. We have been promised that in the end, our bodies will be given life again. Not just that we go to heaven and sort of float around on the wings of an angel, but that our bodies are given life once again. And we spend eternity bearing the image of God. So maybe if you've been thinking about these things that are at work against you and you've been thinking, you know what, I can't control sin and I can't control death, but, but Jesus can. And we'd love to talk with you about how you follow Jesus, how you make the decision to follow Jesus. You can talk to me or Jerry or anybody else on staff. We'd love to share that with you. You can talk to us after the service, shoot us an email during the week, give us a call. That's one of the things we'd love to do is talk with you about where you stand with God and where you are in your spiritual journey. But on this Easter Sunday morning, the message for us is God wins.
Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for the victory that you give us that we could never achieve on our own. Because over and over we will be outclassed by sin and by death. So God, we lift you up and give you thanks and pray that you would once again forgive our sins and assure us of eternal life. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Continue to worship.